Good morning. It is Monday, October 31st, 2022, and this is DC Signal to Noise. Okay, since we last talked, the Fed digested another serving of inflationary data. Mortgage rates moved to the highest level in 20 years. Russia has attempted to end the Ukrainian grain export deal. Election polls continue to suggest a big night for the GOP in the House next week. In one of the strangest stories, the husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was attacked in their home in San Francisco. The Cyclones still have not won a Big 12 football game. The World Series started and is tied one-to-one. And Election Day 2022 is just eight days away. Happy Halloween, Jim Wiesmeyer. How are you? Pro-Farmer Policy Analyst. I'm ready for the Halloweeners. And I get more than a few because I've got a younger community by me. I do want to give a shout out to the uh, Renderers Association because I was in California late last week. And they had a very good meeting. And it was an international flavor too, Chip. And a number of international people came up to me. One that lives in the U.S. now from South Africa and said what I typically get from international people, what is going on in our country? Yeah. Okay. I'll bite. What did you tell him? (laughs) We're nuts right now. We're going through this era of nuts because he, uh, several of them left their country for the freedom here and they cannot understand why we're doing in ourselves that's the question and i i don't have an answer to that it takes sometimes it takes some outside perspective to make you realize what's going on around you and i hear the same thing from some of my friends in in lands afar so yeah yeah uh have you got any Halloween parties planned? Are you going to a costume party? Oh, no, I'm way from. Oh no, I <laughs> I don't do that for years no. now. No, no, I just I just stay at home and watch sports and read and uh, open the door. And my cat, the first female cat I ever had, sits right at the door and looks at them. And of course, they pet her. She just is unbelievable. It, it, is it almost like she's passing judgment, like you know, cats do? Yes, especially her. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Melody has chimed in already here. She uh, is saying good morning. Good morning, Melody. There's a comments tab on your page. If you would like to ask a question or make a comment, we will be sure to work it into it. But here we go. We're going to kick right off with something from Melody. Muddy Mississippi proves she's still relevant. Train strike whispers still persistent. Transportation sector needs repair. This is something that we could say for the week ahead, but it's also from the week behind. It's from this weekend. It's from everything, Jim. Yeah. Uh, The transportation issues in this country are just overwhelming. Yes. I want to, in this case, I want to give all that money uh, taxpayers put into the uh, infrastructure bill time because uh, these are not shovel ready projects like Obama wanted. And so it was needed. And I'm going to see whether how they unfold, but it's going to take uh, some time. Now, my sister in St. Louis tells me they're going to get several uh, days of rainfall. I, I don't, Hopefully that's the case where we can get some water down that Mississippi again. Yeah. Uh, the the pattern was expected to uh, favor rainfall in the upper Midwest. 
which would be a godsend for the Mississippi yep. River. Um, but it's been very disappointing to this point. We had a week ago today, we had nine tenths of an inch here in Northeast Iowa, and that helped yes. take some of the edge off of the drought stress that we were feeling. And I know that there are people in Colorado, Western Kansas, Nebraska that are going to say drought stress. You guys don't know anything about drought. I get that. I get that. Uh, but we were feeling it for where we're at. It's all relevant. Um, but it, it, the pattern has been very d disappointing so far that we just haven't been getting the rainfall in the upper Midwest, Jim. So it's something that we're going to have to continue to watch. And yes. And it tells you the importance again of the mighty Mississippi to agriculture. Right. Just a right. key lifeline. Absolutely. Okay. I want to uh, try to stick to some uh, the questions that are coming in. We're going to get to them. It's, yes. it's all part of what we want to talk about today. Uh, I, I want to go to last week on something because there is something that it, it's this uh, Mexico's plans to go forward with a ban of imports of U.S. GMO. Well, of GMO corn from anywhere, Jim. It, it, this is something that just seems so misguided and so detrimental to the Mexican people and so non-scientific that it just blows me away that it, it, that it's something that we're even talking about. Well, it has the political overtones within Mexico, and I think that's coming from the top, Chip. So, uh, you know, that's why this is important. Now, Secretary Vilsack of USDA said uh, late last week that he – he doesn't agree with the somber analysis of this, but uh, I wish he'd come out and detail why uh, he, he is more upbeat. But he still said recently it'll take until 2024 to settle this issue. Yeah, this I just feel like it's going to be one that we're going to have to uh, and and sooner rather than later, or it's going to have a a. a uh, uh, an impact on longer-term plans for producers here in the U.S. On Friday, on the free-for-all, Tyson Redpass from the Russell Group was talking about uh, Mexican corn importers that are already looking into deals with individual U.S. producers to identity preserve a crop and send non-GMO corn into Mexico at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and some trade sources tell me they're about 85% there on Mexico working deals. Now, I don't I haven't seen wow. any proof of that, but uh I'm telling you this because it affects the seed, you know, seed varieties, right. et cetera, all that stuff as you said. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to start getting ready for a different mix of of corn hybrids in 2024, we're already 3 years late. Yeah. In doing that, okay, uh, scary. Uh, the diesel situation from last, we talked about it a lot last week. It took a lot of headlines, but Jim, it was bad last week, and it feels like it's worse this week. Worse, and and uh, you had a major uh, fuel company that I talked about in, I uh, wrote about in uh, Pro Farmer this morning. Uh, the highest alert that they can give. And we've seen what with with a, a 25 now, it's probably under a 25 day supply. So uh, and while uh, gasoline prices are coming down, diesel prices are not. You're you're well above the five 
25 uh, area. Yeah. So, yeah, what what do you do? Just at the gut slot of harvest and, and other aspects. And, of course, the uh, uh, heating oil. Yeah, yeah, this has implications for the Northeast heating oil. This is something that we talked about on Friday as well on the free-for-all. Why aren't we – why are they still using heating oil in the Northeast? Uh, I've got a friend on Long, on Long Island. And he sent me a picture, and I sent him over to Jim, a picture of his fuel oil barrels sitting outside, 550 uh, gallons of capacity. He said, unfortunately, he's down to about one-third full in those, in, in those barrels right now. Um, he pointed out it's not just the furnaces. It's the infrastructure to run the natural gas to those, those houses. The infrastructure isn't there to do it. Jim countered very quickly with that's what the infra infrastructure bill is all about okay if that is true why aren't they doing it this is what yeah i think that was a big omission and how many years have we known this yeah i did some history and uh in the northeast with 82 percent of households using oil chip as their primary energy source that equates to about five and a half million residents so, and then the commercial, 35% of commercial fuel oil use is also yeah. in the Northeast. So this has been known. So again, it's the fault of both Democrat and Republican administrations to strategize and look ahead and, and yeah. help solve problems. But in this case, they didn't. I right. know the history of why were they used uh, uh, oil in the 1800s homes in the Northeast were wood or coal heated. And then this came along because oil was uh, plentiful and much yeah. cheaper. So I understand why they went that way. Yep. Uh, and to understand why we are not going to natural gas is because the infrastructure dollars are not destined to be spent on running natural gas lines through existing communities because solar and wind is supposed to take over, Jim. Yeah, well, tell that to the Northeast people when they're, uh, you know, get their bills. So, okay, I'll tell yeah. them it. I'll tell them it's all part of a transition, not to worry. Don't worry. It's all part of a transition. <laughs> Transitions are rough, is what the administration says. That doesn't pay the bills. Doesn't keep you warm either. No, it doesn't keep you warm. Absolutely. So, so failed policy, just failed policy over the years. Yeah, this is it, it is a scary situation. And this diesel, as we were saying, um, the it, it's it's it literally has it's literally one of those things that when I think about it, it makes me sweat about what it means for this country. Yeah, it yeah. does. And there's not much even a White House can do on this one because right. uh, the strategic reserves are very minimal. So yeah, um, over the weekend, it, this is uh, such a, a scary story. And and you know what? I think it actually happened uh, late last week. So we'll transition here with this. But Paul Pelosi, the husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, was attacked in their home in San Francisco. Weird, yeah. Story, Jim. Yeah, um, what? Not all the details are out, so I hesitate. But two thirty in the morning. Thank goodness that he alerted the the uh, the uh, uh, you, you know police in a coded message, as I understand it. But from a Washington perspective, Chip, this just is another signal of political violence. Uh, now you know because he asked, "Where's Nancy?" 
uh, when he came in. But there's all sorts of other uh, uh, rumors are uh, unsubstantiated news on this one, but it's just not a good development. And I think no. it's a mental case situation again. Again. Yeah. Uh, Gary made the comment here. We thought a few months back Roe versus Wade was October surprise. I think media trying to cover up suppress any facts about Paul Pelosi is it now. Yeah. Um, and it's because of what you were, that comment is there because of what you were just said. There's all kinds of stories out there about how this happened, why it happened. Yeah. Um, boy, this is one let's, let's wait for the police reports. Yes. Right. I, I, I agree. I will. I'm not, I'm just commenting that, uh, he got his skull fractured, uh, not the brain. And he right. had to have, uh, you know, surgeries and that. So it's just not a good development all the way around. And, Absolutely. and you know, uh, if the reasons why it was easy, some Democrats easily pointed to Trump, and you know, that's silly. And, I mean, remember when the Democrats, when Trump was president, uh, said to holler and get at people where they were eating, uh, whatever. This, this fostered a lot of stuff, too. Not the total blame. But uh, we have to get back to civility in this country, period. That's right. That's right. I, I mean, you said it earlier. You were talking with some some new foreign friends over the weekend. They had to have heard this story and just wondered to themselves, what in the world is going on? Yes. Um, okay. Well, you're going uh, to see a lot of money thrown at some leadership people in Congress for protection now. that That's an easy conclusion, Jim. Right. Right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And Gary makes another quick comment here very, very quickly. Why no security at the home? I agree. Yeah. It, it's uh, crazy. Crazy. Okay. Lula back again in Brazil. Uh, is it the third term that, that third President term, unprecedented, Lula? I believe. Yeah. And uh, not too long after he was in jail. <laughs> so here we go. Right. Again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what he, does it mean? Well, what's it mean is the Democrats are happy because he's he's going to uh, quit, uh, you know, doing the deforestation uh, moves. Uh, that was the initial conclusion that I got, Chip. And he's not in office until January one, but uh, he's he's popular. But it was a very close vote within a percentage point or so. So, uh, and the uh, his opposition uh, has still not declared uh, loss, so we'll have to see. Okay, uh, you know what? I want to go back to the energy uh, comments and conversation just real quickly before we move on, Jim, because there's a good question here. Well, they're all good questions. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, but Deanne has a question. Uh, what will it take to shift our energy to building the bench of new public? Uh, servants that lead with civility. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not so much an energy question. That's more of a a, 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 a just a, a public servant question. You know, Deanne brings up a good point, and it's something that has been on my mind quite a bit. We look at some of the races, and and we think to ourselves, "I can't believe that guy is leading," or "We I can't believe that that guy is even in the race." Well. Why didn't the other party put up a better candidate against them? I mean, you look up in, in Pennsylvania, and I'm not saying that that Oz, Dr. Oz, or, um, oh, shoot, 
the Arizona Masters, Revenue. Arizona Masters, uh, the football player uh, Walker in oh, Georgia. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, the race in in Georgia, the race in in Pennsylvania, the race in Arizona. All all of those are great examples of kind of a poor candidate on both sides. Yes. Betterman. Thank you, Betterman versus Oz. How is that a tight race? It's well, a tight race because yeah. the Republicans didn't put up a good enough candidate. Yes. And here's another reason on future elections. I remember at a Pearl Farmer meeting more than a few years ago, Clayton Yider, uh, who's now no longer with us, was right. one of the smartest people I ever knew that came into government. Uh from Nebraska, and we asked him this question about civility then, and he told us until the opposition part, the minority party, yep, whether they are Democrats those. or Republicans, until they're a true minority, in other words, you can't come back into power the next election, uh, you won't see much give from either political party. And I think that is the best explanation I can have. And Adam points out the geriatric politicians have got yeah. to go. I'm of the spirit that uh, I think we do need a turnover because some of the younger people I see coming in, not all, but some are really good, are yeah. really good. And I think the American public should see more of that. I see it at the commodity group level and in the lobbyist chip. Uh, SEPA meeting the, uh, pro, put on by Combicell has some of the best representatives sit on a panel, 10 to 11, where they go through by commodity. And most of them are young people. And it gives me great faith that at least in the ag sector, we have a good farm club building up, w whether they're the heads of the groups now or the lobbyist. Uh, and somebody like, I'll just uh, give a shout out, Amanda Bilek, uh, she's the from the Minnesota Corn Growers. I mean, she handles the Minnesota legislature better than anybody I've seen. And, and so that gives me faith that we'll eventually get there. Okay. Jim, you won't believe this, but we are already 19 minutes in. Fire. We've got, <laughs> we've got, we've got two major issues that we need to cover. The first yeah. one of these issues has corn. Uh, call it 10 to 14 cents higher. Soybeans modestly higher. And it's got wheat sharply higher today. Uh, we'll call it 35 to 45 cents higher. And that is Russia has said that it is going to indefinitely suspend its participation in the UN brokered grain deal to allow shipments of Ukrainian grain out of the Black Sea. Uh, this is as, uh, uh, the, the the conflict was as intense over the weekend as we've seen it in quite some time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's escalating. And, you know, several things here. Putin knows that it's, it has already been a protracted war and it's going to be more protracted that he sees a partial weakening of support uh, from both Europe and certain sectors in the United States. Uh, you recall how we weakened on Vietnam, Afghanistan, even Russia with their incursion into Afghanistan. That's point one. Point two is, I don't think Putin wanted to uh, you know, sign on to this agreement to begin with. And now uh, that this, uh, those missiles, he has an excuse 
to uh, indefinitely suspend, maybe not resurrect it, uh, because now he can send a, a record or near record uh, crops in Russia to those needy nations and he won't be accused of starving the world. Yeah, I think this is all about timing. Uh, I really do, because they do have the new crop that they could ship and ship more aggressively out of Ukraine. Yes, yes. So you slow that down a little bit. And plus, think about what the next four months mean to Europe as far as the fuel, the fertilizer, food supplies. It, this is, we are just entering the time period in which Russia has the, will likely gain the most leverage over Europe. Yes. Correct. Yes, and food inflation is going to be with us for a while, point blank. I mean, not only from the fertilizer perspective, but from the food availability perspective. Yeah. Do you think that that President Putin could gain enough leverage over Europe to uh, to get Europe to bend a bit on its support for Ukraine? History would suggest that. I, I hope I'm wrong, Chip, but history would suggest that. And if you see the U.S. also pushing for a, a, a settlement between Ukraine and Russia, that's a sign of uh, that's what Putin wants. OK, right. I, the hardest question I'm getting in my speech is now that I simply cannot answer and I'm researching it. What will it take to end this war? You know, wow. Uh, so how do you work a compromise with a person singular who invaded you? That's yeah. hard for Ukraine, and I don't blame them. Right, right. Uh, another kind of strange, st are, is, is that enough on Ukraine? I think, I think so. Bottom okay. line, you just because we uh, Brian Grady, a pro farmer, said uh, a few months ago that the wheat market is totally de mostly dependent on headlines or yes. actions out of Ukraine and Russia. And he was exactly right. We're seeing it today. Yeah. Yeah. And he will also remind us that this is a bigger story for corn than it is for wheat. But wheat yes. doesn't have anything else to trade on. So it will react more aggressively to any headlines out of Ukraine Agree. than what the corn market will. Agree. So uh, the video, Jim, of, of people fleeing that iPhone factory in China, weird. This is important, Chip, because of two things, because of G's uh, leadership or the lack thereof. So he's going to be pressured more. And two, uh, China's economy. We saw more numbers come out of China today of a weakening manufacturers, uh, manufacturing sector. And uh, the world needs China. They're number two economy. So this, this does not smack well for the world economy where you really need a GDP, gross domestic product a four and a half percent or higher for a comfortable uh, uh you know demand driven world market and we're well beyond that so it's important okay uh, let, let's sprint forward here i'm just going to mention this we don't have to talk about it but pro farmer editor brian grady who you just mentioned has sent the warning last week that this afternoon's first update of the winter wheat crop condition uh, could be the lowest on record, the poorest on record, however you want to say it. So it's something that we're going to have to be watching. Dust it uh, so, and sweep the bins, right? Yeah, 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 I think so. I think so. Um, tomorrow, the, the FOMC, Federal Open Market Committee meeting starts. What are we watching? 
well, the wide expectation is for a 75 basis point cut, but the uh, the the true focus will be on what the Fed either says in their statement or in Jerome J. Powell's, the Fed chairman's uh, presser uh, regarding December and future uh, rate hikes. Uh, the consensus now is building for maybe a 50 uh, a basis point hike in December uh, with 25 basis point hikes, a couple of them in the new year. That would put us at or around five percent chip and uh that would equal three percent inflation uh and that by the end of the year so i think that there once we get that but that's certainly you don't call it a pivot when you're still raising rates okay Mm -hmm. so uh i i think that's what the consensus is telling me yep okay let's go on to the elections shall we yes it's a it's a final stretch and the democrats they brought out the big gun this weekend. Obama is is, is making the rounds. Yes, in the uh, in some of the blue states that he's attending, and that tells you a lot right there. And it also tells you that uh, uh, Biden did not go anywhere. He stayed uh, up in Delaware over the weekend. That says a lot right there, Chip. Uh, you've got Trump now going into I think four key states. And that can be a a, a positive and a negative, depending on your feelings, Chip. Bottom line, an increasing number of election prognosticators are upping their top end for net Republican gains in the House, uh, 20 to 25 25 seats net. And the 25 seat is important, Chip, because that would give uh, likely House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from California uh, a little more leeway relative to his arch conservative members. In the Senate, it's razor thin uh, polls. It can either be, I think, 50-50 or plus one or two, maybe even three on the uh, on the Republican side because the independents are beginning to show that they're favoring now the Republican party and that happens in midterm election in many elections uh, that that one side is favored over the other that's about are, the best i can say are you looking at the real clear politics yes that's the one that i yeah look at the most near the end because that takes a lot of emotion out of these polls well if it goes the way that real clear is talking about plus um, three plus three well, on the Re- republicans on the senate i forget right last one right so it's uh it, it's leaning and leaning a little bit harder here. Well, in a number of question. Senate races, look at Arizona, where Carrie Lake is up, I think, by double digits for governor. Uh, she could have some coattails for masters uh, right. in, in the Senate, the, the Republican Senate race. Uh, so uh, I would watch that. And then in Georgia with Herschel Walker, the Republican candidate, there the, the governor of Georgia who's going uh for re-election is also up near double digits eight to ten percentage points i i believe so those are important factors uh david wasserman told me early on election night to watch the first district in indiana which is typically a democratic district if that were to go to the republicans that could be a signal of a long night for the 
you know, Democrats. Wow. Also, in my home state now, Virginia, districts two and seven, watch those. If they were to go Republican, signal of a long night for the Democrats. And in Florida, uh, it's not a question of Rubio's going to win by but what margin, David says. If it's five points or higher, good night for Republicans. Wow. Okay. Those that's very specific races to watch to tell yes, us to that's give us why I like it because yeah. so many that you can zero in, and I think the twenty seventh district of California, believe it or not, is another district that the Wall Street Journal said to oh watch goodness. out for. One of my best prognostic uh, analysts for the Wall Street Journal is Kimberly Strauss, and she's you know if she wasn't married, I'd want to marry her. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now we know. Now we know. Um, so, okay, back to this. This all takes us back to one of the issues that we kind of started with in the conversation today, Jim. And this is from a Wall Street Journal commentary. If Democrats lose next week's election, one reason will be soaring energy prices. Surprise, surprise. Uh, there were energy earnings, energy company earnings out last week. There's going to be more out this week. And President Biden is losing his mind over this stuff, Jim. Yes. Well, and what Wall Street Journal and others have saying, where was Biden's thoughts when the energy companies were losing tens of billions of dollars during the pandemic when we didn't uh, uh, drive very much, Jeff? Yeah. Uh, also, uh, the investment signal uh, from the investment companies telling, and some of these energy activists just a few years ago with Exxon Mobil meeting chip, they're saying, why, why should we give you money to further ex explore and our drill more uh, when the clear signal from the government is against fossil fuel? So sorry, they're reaping the consequences of failed policy in my judgment. Okay, again, just to wrap things up with the conclusion from the Wall Street Journal on this opinion piece, Biden and fellow, quote, Biden and fellow Democrats simply refuse to understand the economic consequences of their assault on American fossil fuels. They have come to believe that climate is a crisis and that banishing oil and gas is urgent, but that means higher prices, which they now blame on the very companies they want to go out of business. Economic logic won't persuade them but maybe a route at the ballot box will. I think that's that's point on uh, because uh, really good. that's how you change this town. And it would also mean that uh, uh, Biden would not run for, for you know, president because right. uh, he, he, he would get the signal. 21 million Americans have already voted, Jim. What does that uh, mean? Anything? So much as, yeah, so much for stopping uh, voters uh, that was right. charged the, after the last election. And we've got two million almost in Georgia voting again. Uh, you've already had two million in some other key states, Texas uh, as well. And you're seeing some signals, Chip. Uh, I've been in Texas uh, several times recently in the last month. And uh, the southern border, uh, Rio Grande area and things like that, right. which is usually a the, the you know, Democrats who, who, who do vote and win elections, they're turning uh, in those states. So that that's another barometer we're going to look on, on election day. And in Nevada, uh, Biden won Nevada, a Hispanic vote by 26 points. Uh, the senator who's incumbent uh, is only up by five points in the Hispanic vote. Says a lot there. 
Yes. Yes, it certainly does. All right, Jim, you travel safe this week, buddy. We'll talk to you again next week as we one day in front of it. Today on AgriTalk, we've got Machinery Pete and U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley. And this afternoon, Sean Hackett, Hackett Financial Services. Have a great week, everybody. Keep watching for those signals.